0: Hi, I'm Shiv.
1: And I'm Chitra.
0: We are the co-hosts of this show, Software People Stories.
1: We are happy to bring you stories of people associated with software, as makers or consumers.
0: In every episode, we talk to people on their own personal and professional journeys,
1: their interests and approach to work and life in a free-flowing conversational format. We hope that you will be able to draw your inspiration from their experiences and insights.
0: These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams, and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. Hi. Welcome to this episode of the Software People Stories. My guest today is Paul Arikal. Paul has been in the IT industry for 29 years and is currently the Vice President of Engineering at Global Automation India Private Limited. In today's conversation, Paul talks about how he learned the rigor of software development as computing resources were scarce when he started programming, how considering constraints at the time of design helps in creating single user or multi-user capable software, and how the passion for writing software shows as rigor when writing code, and sometimes when assumptions that are made while designing go wrong with the help of a story of a time tracking application that he and his team built. He also enjoys debugging and in the age of cloud and microservices how top-down design is still relevant and by sticking to the basics how they were able to bring down the footprint of an application from approximately 2 GB to less than 200 MB. How his passion for gardening helps him draw inspiration in creating good software and how learning violin taught him about writing software and of course the importance of a test first approach whether it is in gardening or coding if you want to know what paul compares debugging to to get a high listen very carefully he also talks about how one can avoid a burnout in the supposedly stressful field of software and the importance of staying focused on the core of the problem we are solving and not get lost on the frills. Listen on. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the episode of Software People Stories because that's a new branding we have given for what used to be Software Lifecycle Stories. So it is all about people who have been in software, who have created software or consumed software. And also it's an opportunity for us to catch up after a long time we normally start with uh, the guest introducing oneself so if you can introduce how you got into software and then what you do otherwise what other interests are
2: we can take it from there okay Hi Shiv. my name is paul Lincoln and uh, i've been with the software industry for over uh, 29 years i started off as an electrical engineer but uh, even at the graduate studies i was more uh, interested in computers programming computers so most of my projects that i did in electrical engineering were also computer simulation of power systems distribution networks cabling and things like that and uh, after one year of uh, working in that space i found that uh, soft software uh, engineering software did not interest me and i'm to other commercial software application industry, I've been working in this space for in particularly in the commercial software for 25 um, years. My interest in software started uh, during my undergrad days, and uh, that's when the first uh, Mini-computer from Pro landed up at our institute and uh, we started uh, writing programs in Fortran at that time. That was the only language available for writing engineering software.
0: With all those eight and a
2: half inch floppies. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) Huge. Huge. Yeah. And um, more often than not, uh, the computer would crash. Uh, we would have to reboot the system and get it working. I don't even recollect uh, how much memory was there, but I think it would be in KBs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, from there, I moved on to bigger uh, machines uh, during my postgraduate studies at IISc. So I think we were working on VAX. Again, there too, it was Fortran. First time that I had exposure of using terminals to write software and you had to submit your program in advance because you don't get computer time. Come back the next day to collect the output and analyze it. So I think that started, that created a, a rigor of software development where nowadays you have the luxury of writing a line of code, submitting it for compile spot and getting the response immediately to know how it works. But those days you had to, to wait for a day before you get the response. And so that required you to be very careful in, in writing the program, ensuring that there are no compiler errors because it will take a day to for you to understand that there was a compiler error. And so you would lose a day. So that was the the uh, the progression of uh, software development that I had, and uh, and now it's more to do with uh, the the tools, Java and uh, enterprise Java things like that. It's it's a big uh, shift from the Fortran and C programming
0: days. Yeah, interesting. So from engineering software to software engineering. yeah. And I remember my first program was also in Fortran at IC. So how do you find the shift from even in commercial software working on let us say PCs, uh, more of a single user kind of applications to working on enterprise class applications?
2: yeah the the requirements uh, when we working on the uh, standalone pc systems writing software for, for that uh, environment uh, we did not have to look at uh, multi-user capability and sharing the processor load and things like that uh, you're pretty much uh, you had the processor and the memory all to yourself to to write. I remember, in fact, uh, one of the first uh, pieces of software that I wrote in the commercial software space was the uh, Toshiba. It was called Disk to Tape utility. And, uh, yeah. It, it was to copy D2. the mm-hmm. image of a disk into a tape, mm-hmm. and uh, you and it was written on a on a PC. So you had on a Windows PC and uh, you had all of the uh, pc memory available to to allocate to yourself in
1: mm-hmm.
2: but now it's not uh, now it's it's actually you have to be careful about that but uh, there are the system takes care of you know ensuring that uh, the space you don't overwrite your space into somebody else's uh, memory space mm-hmm. um, but uh, still having said that we still have to be uh, aware of, uh, you know, the, the multi-user load and the processor loads and write uh, uh, or optimized uh, pieces of software. Uh, in fact, I think the, the, the need to write optimized software is even more now than it was uh, when it, it was, uh, the was standalone PC days uh because often i find many of us uh, simply assume that uh, you will have all of the server processor to yourself you will have all of the server memory to yourself and you can write you can allocate and you know more than what you want and, and keep it but i think that's not uh, we have to be careful that we do it even at as we develop it and design the software because putting that constraint working around that constraint after you develop the software is, is not very easy yeah. you have to rework some of your designs so it is it will be it will be you know good to have the constraints software written with the constraints even at the time of design itself and not wait for the end after you develop the software to put the constraints and change the design See, my very rough
0: analogy for this has been uh, either keyboard programming or mouse programming. And when you do keyboard programming, you get deep into code, get into debug, try to understand mouse programming, probably drag, drop, click, set a few properties, it all kind of works. But you also mentioned that um, the Fortran programming time gave you the discipline of uh, making sure that your logic is right and everything else before you ran and now you have the IDEs. Do you see a change? over time, not only with technology, in terms of you know, how people who get into software development approach solving the problem.
2: Yeah, uh, like I said, I think the 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 fact that there is less of a rigor in, in designing and ensuring that there are no errors in design and code, that actually goes, spreads to other areas of software Lifecycle like for example even in even in when you are doing the spec at the spec stage people do not i feel that those who do not have a rigor in in doing a detailed design and code do not have a rigor in in detailing of the specs also
0: mm-hmm. most
2: of the time it is uh, it is you know it's like everybody works on a, like a hobby project mm-hmm. you know you write your own spec you, what you think is sufficient and you start writing code then you show it to somebody and then they'll say no 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 this doesn't work you know you have to change your spec you go back change the spec so i feel that uh, some of the tools and methodologies actually incentivize you to sometimes to misuse those tools and technologies to not uh, adopt the rigor and something hmm. whereas the older generation like mine, I think they are more uh, careful, they are more uh, detailed in their analysis even before writing the first line of work.
0: Yeah, I remember, um, was it uh, the point of sale product that you worked on when uh, you said I want to go off-site, you know, for doing the initial brainstorming and then trying to come up with the conceptualization of the product. Um, today, people talk about product management and understanding the users and they are trying to do all that. It is coming in, but I guess the discipline that you have been trying to follow has been there. Now, the question is, um, we had one guest, in fact, you know him, Duray, uh as a podcast guest earlier, who was talking a lot about how do you train people? It is not about learn and do, but then do and learn. So what approaches have you found effective when you are inducting new members in the team, particularly those who don't have a commercial or an enterprise programming background?
2: Um, we did not, we have not had the luxury of, uh, you know, to find out, to analyze what would work uh, and what not uh, in terms of uh, inducting new members. But uh, I have noticed that uh, somebody who who has a lot of passion in writing software tends to be more tends to have more rigor in in writing software Uh, whereas somebody who is uh, who has taken up software as just a career not having as much passion as they have as they would need to write software uh, tend to be less rigorous uh, there, their if software development, I don't know if that's uh, if I should be generalizing it that way, but uh, that's my my experience. Um, I've had uh, colleagues who have who have who have who extremely you know detailed uh, in their analysis and rigor of software development, and those who are Uh, Like cowboy programmers, Mm -hmm. Start writing Even actually in the earlier days there were There were cowboy programmers, but they were cowboy programmers with a With a you know with an objective in mind They had very clear objective of what they had to do and they would have done some analysis or lot of analysis but not captured it in a, in a, in a, in a note or a, or a document or anything, but they had very clearly laid out, they would have the high level objective identified. Mm-hmm. Today, I think sometimes what happens is that we work with some uh, low level objective before even realizing what the high level right. objective is. And I think that results in all this uh, you know rework and redoing and going back to start uh, to the spec stage and then going to the I think uh, it's the the uh, big picture approach is not there.
0: But in enterprise software, to get the big picture, you also need to either ask the right questions or discover the requirements with customers. So, have you had any, let's say, funny experiences in terms of uh, getting some specs? thinking this is what probably they need and after it is done find that well oops it's probably not something
2: um i haven't uh, had um, much of an experience that way um, but yeah recently uh, we we did the uh, uh, time recording system and uh, we built the time recording system based on our understanding of of the normal, you know, uh, operations in a in an organization. So we we organize the software components into the same way as a normal software development would happen. So we would have like a an organization. Then you would have a project, and then under that you would have milestone, and the milestone would have tasks. And so we developed the whole thing, and we and we, uh, you know. Published it, and then we found that the first user who came up said that no, I don't want to create an organization and uh, you know and a project and uh, milestone and task. Mm-hmm. I just want to have tasks. Okay. So so and you know we were completely thrown off because and then we tried to fit that requirement into the <laughs> into the hierarchical you know, structure that we had, and that failed miserably. And So finally we had we got down to redoing this this whole thing. So now we support uh, You know the hierarchic structure as well as as well as you know, a very flat structure which has no structure
0: Yeah, interesting because um, when you spoke earlier about uh, being mindful of the resources consumed whether it is memory or don't assume that everything is available only for your program with the move to the cloud and one is let us say microservices are writing small functionality and the other is about stitching multiple of those services together from the third-party services like whether it is maps or anything and you don't even know how it is going to evolve or what it's going to consume uh, in terms of design do you think today it is better to do a bottom-up design rather than spending a lot of time in creating and architecture and trying to design.
2: I still think that, uh, you know, creating an architecture and then to design is, is, is the best way to go. Because even in the cloud, while there may be, you know, computing resources available to you, uh, at, you at, the, at your disposal, there is a commercial aspect that we have to consider. I mean, if you want to, if you have like a single processor uh, One GB uh, memory uh, uh, configuration with some, you know, 10 GB hard uh, storage space. It'll cost you something, but that doesn't mean that uh, you know you can you you should use all of that uh, exposure that is available mm-hmm. because you can all you can also get an eight processor. You know, 20 GB memory and uh, 200 GB storage. That's going to cost you more. So just because that it's available doesn't mean that you can use it because uh, there is a commercial aspect that you have to consider. After all, we are here to make money. <laughs> so yeah, selling like So so you have to be very careful about using uh, you know, so that so that the requirement to ensure that you have a solution. That uh, that uses the least configuration available today uh, is is still there. In fact, uh, I have a an experience recently. Uh, we developed a storage uh, data migration piece of software, and uh, we just used Java and we packaged. We just took the standard Java runtime and built this whole thing, and uh, we demoed to the customer, and uh, we found that the the memory footprint for us for our software at that time was about uh, two GB Hmm. and uh, the customer said that you know we only have 200 MB available for the software (laughs) so finally Hmm. we had to get down to start trimming out and removing all of the unnecessary packages uh, Uh and we found that we actually came down to 180 MB so 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 there. There was room to do that, but we never thought of it. We just assumed that, you know, the whole, all of the memory that we want is to be available to us. Yeah. So, so this is, what, this is what I said. You know, early on, if we had known what the constraints were, we could have done it. I'm sure we would have done it. But having, doing it without knowing what the constraint is and, and keeping your requirement to the minimum would be a, you know, the best uh, solution that you can offer to your orchestra. Rather than wait for the customer to tell you that this wouldn't work, and then you yes. go back and rework, right? Yeah. Because we spent almost uh, two months to, you know, get this memory footprint from, Oh. out a okay. lot of things. In fact, we even redesigned some parts of the software.
0: Yeah, that's a very, very you know, insightful story. Uh, you, do you have any stories on uh, the user experience or the user interface
2: side, something similar? Uh, No, actually, we've been always been extremely careful about user interface, Mm -hmm. Uh, so we we spent a lot of time trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, beating the user interface up and ensuring that it would be the best that we can offer to the end user. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, there was, you know, some tools that we built and which we... There was a user interface which we thought was very highly intuitive, mm-hmm. and we found that uh, the users were actually confused with the whole uh, user interface, oh. and uh, we have to we had to change it. But that was an internal tool. Okay. So I mean, if you can find uh, so much, uh, you know, so less acceptance to a user interface <laughs> within the organization, I yeah. could imagine how difficult it would be to to help uh, to provide a user interface that will work well outside.
0: Going off a little bit, I know that you have a lot of other interests than coding in music or gardening, etc., do you find any analogies from those disciplines that can
2: be used in software development? Yeah, actually, uh, it's more like cross training for me. (laughs) I find that, uh, especially in gardening, Mm -hmm. I find that, uh, so I do a lot of... uh, you know uh, gardening I, I try to put mm. in technology to conserve water mm. to use the best uh, soil nutrition and things like that uh, to maintain humidity mm. so try to use technology and most of it is there are there are no standard solutions available mm-hmm. for a small garden okay there are solutions available for large farms and other so it's a it's an exercise in adapting some of those uh, concepts and tools that are available there mm-hmm. into the into a small garden and uh, again you know money is limited mm-hmm. because it's a hobby i don't want to spend a lot of money yeah. this. so i have to use i have to get the best uh, equipment for the least cost mm-hmm. and uh, so that requires a lot of analysis mm-hmm. and you know, figuring out vendors who would provide it and understanding some of those. For example, I used a drip irrigation system. Okay, The first time I just went and bought one, a few drippers. Uh, I had to buy 100 drippers because oh, they okay. come in 100 packets. So I got the dripper and I found that that's like a 8 liter per hour dripper. So <laughs> there's so much water so that, it meter, huh? and that it comes in. And that I found that there are actually Two liters per hour trippers, oh. like four liters per hour. Okay. So you need to select some of these, and then I arranged the pots and I, I fit the fit the drippers. And I found that there are some pots, some plants in the pots in that line that require less water, and the others oh. have more no water. Okay. <laughs> so you don't, you can't use the same dripper for all of them. So these are, you know, it it told me that I need to do much more analysis uh-huh. and you know explore. Things that are that you don't you do not know Mm. you have to actually figure this out before you start putting money and you know putting all drippers. So now I have uh, packets of drippers lying at home of no use, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to find somebody who will just take it and say you know go ahead and please use it. Maybe you should just uh, invest in a big farm. Big farm. Yeah. (laughs) So 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 I'm saying so I think that. That, uh, you know, that need to do more analysis um, stood me in good stead in software development. (laughs) And the other thing from music is I find that is that, you know, I read a lot about, uh, I read a lot about music. I read a lot about uh, playing, uh, you know, the violin and all (laughs) that but i found that when i started playing the violin all that knowledge uh, called you know, not is not even applicable yeah.
1: because finally
2: you have to play the violin mm-hmm. so that's even that uh, you know is something that i take in software development
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's not sufficient to read about uh, you know designs and architecture and all that you have to sit and do a design and architecture before you can even understand mm. what really is. So, so there's a lot of cross training in those through those hobbies that I can bring to software.
0: Okay. See, one uh, question triggered by this is: uh, when you pay attention to detail, now how do you get into a discipline of uh, validating it or testing it?
2: Yeah, actually, that's the first thing that we have that I've learned that we should do. That is. Even before you start uh, doing something, you have to first test it. So going back to gardening. When I finally figured out that the 2 liter per hour, uh, you know, droppers are available, I then built one sample line and then I measured and ensured that there is really only 2 liters <laughs> per hour coming from the droopers. Uh, because the timers are set for 1 minute and 2 minutes and 3 minutes. Okay. Minute. So I need to be very sure how much of water I will get. Mm-hmm. so even though this the specs at two liters per hour i did a test to ensure that there is is two, two liters. Liters per hour. Mm-hmm. and uh, that's the same thing i do even in uh, even in software development so even in the new uh, you know storage uh, uh, migration service product mm-hmm. that we're developing we first built elaborate uh, test frameworks mm-hmm. to test to ensure that we can test every component in this whole solution mm-hmm. and after we use the test framework and the test cases as the specifications for developing the product. Actually, oh, okay. for writing code. So, so that's the first thing that we're doing. And I think we, I believe that through my other projects that I've done, mm-hmm. this one is the is the one that is best done because oh. I think because I did we did the testing part first. We you know, set up the test frameworks first, did some tests, and then you know test the test framework, test framework. and then okay. start writing the code.
0: What has been the most challenging bug that you had to
2: fix and after you fix it, like, oh, how did we miss this? Yeah, I I, I think uh, It was in my during the time that we we're developing the point-of-sale system uh, We used to I mean there were there were bugs which were used to just simply crash the system mm-hmm. and uh, this was written in C++, and uh, and after a few such instances, I found that uh, it was all due to memory allocation problems. I mean, mm-hmm. mem- allocating memory but misusing that memory allocation, mm-hmm. right? You know, writing more than what you have allocated. And I found that later on, a crash, a complete crash, is the easiest to debug. Because you oh, know maybe. exactly that there's some, there is a memory allocation. <laughs> Whereas if it's a functional uh, bug, yeah. I found it extremely difficult to <laughs> because you have to understand the the functionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't pinpoint uh, a particular bug that that was the most challenging. But uh, uh, for me, I think functional bugs in in the functions are difficult to functional bugs are difficult to debug than a crash.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: a crash. The moment somebody reports a crash, I will. I know for sure that we have to look at array allocation, memory allocation, overwriting a memory, overwriting an array. <laughs> Even now, when I do Arduino programming, that's the first thing I look at. When the system stops working, hangs, I know that I have over overwritten an array. <laughs> mm.
0: So, how do you find the switch between working with all these IDE tools and all that in your work? Situation, and then when you go to, uh, do you know it's
2: probably you know, trying to actually look at bits flowing? Yeah, I, I think even even at an ID level, in order to understand the uh, a bug if it occurs in a code, you have to know bit level. You know, you have to have bit level. Um, otherwise, I think it's very difficult if you don't have that uh, skill and expertise. I think it's very difficult to debug uh, uh, mm-hmm. the problem. mm-hmm. Simple problems are easy to debug. And mm-hmm. They you don't need that knowledge. But then there are these real, you know. I remember there was a case of um, of uh, the uh, a web server hanging mm-hmm. in one case, and uh, we were wondering why. Mm-hmm. They were looking at uh, the the most common place. To look at is to see if you know the code is functioning the right way, the wrong okay. way. it is a functional code yes. working correctly. But finally, we found that actually the problem was not not there anywhere. Mm. It was actually in the fact that we were opening uh, database connections and not closing it. Oh, explicitly closing okay. it. So, so that was and it, the the it used to manifest in different places mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. So each one we were looking at in isolation. But okay. we found finally when we analyze, we found that it you we are just not closing all okay. the database connections. Mm-hmm. So, so if you don't know, if you don't have a knowledge of of you know the detail of how the driver works, mm-hmm. then I think it's very difficult to debug. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I had that uh, mm-hmm. that skill. Mm-hmm. I looked at that uh, specific area and said, you know, can you just see mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know overall, I'll get some resources. Okay. The database connection was one of.
0: So, do you find
2: debugging as an activity uh, enjoyable, as a challenge, or stressful? I, I, for me, debugging is an enjoyable activity. Actually, in fact, I, I relish uh, bugs appearing and, and <laughs> okay. debugging Because I think it, it sets up some, uh, you know, it's like uh, it's like uh, you know, taking a swig of liquor and you know, get a high. On it. It's very similar to that actually. <laughs>
0: So how do you get that kind of an
2: attitude or approach in somebody who is starting out their career? I'm a bad teacher, but uh, so I don't know how. Yeah. To, uh, I hope I always hope that people would, uh, you know, look at me as an example and then you know mm. try to inculcate that same <laughs> approach to, to anything that they do. Mm. Yeah, no matter how much you talk about uh, being detailed in analysis and having adopting a rig, adapting a rigor and all that, I think it finally you have to do it. Right? It mm-hmm. has to come from within you to do it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how how I can okay. you know, get somebody else to do better.
0: Yeah, the idea of these conversations is to you know get some insights into how you do it, so that they can probably pick up ideas or maybe get inspired maybe try out things on their own. Are there any other uh, tips, you know, for creating software faster? I I uh, uh... I think… More, uh, this question is triggered by, uh, I interact with a lot of these uh, aspiring entrepreneurs. At least in Bangalore, everyone thinks that if they write an app, they are an entrepreneur. Then they go cook up something and um, think that they have a solution. So i'm not talking about those kinds of half-baked things but then if you want to do something but small not necessarily solve large problems a lot of small small problems how can we reduce the fear of creating something and do something quick which can be shown to
2: users that people can actually use actually the i think uh, the if we if somebody is developing a solution they have to have mm-hmm. a clear focus on or an idea of what the actual problem is, mm-hmm. not what the perceived problem that mm-hmm. they perceive it as the problem. What is the actual problem? Yeah, and uh, and only develop a solution that will exactly focus on that problem and solve mm-hmm. it. Normally, we get. I find that many of us uh, tend to get. Uh, you know. Tend to digress, so we start we start looking at the frills to a solution mm-hmm. than the core solution itself, okay. and the frills become the core for us. But mm-hmm. that really doesn't matter for the for the final end user or customer. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where I think many times uh, some of the apps are just written and nobody it or mm-hmm. solutions are okay. mm-hmm. and I've had a few such uh, experiences myself. Mm-hmm. And not having you know focus on the frills rather than the core of the core problems
0: so. Hmm. so how do you find this balance between work and non-work or like that's one thing that everyone seems to feel that software
2: as a career you know, could lead to burnouts I think the choice is uh, yours uh, so once I finish uh, work from the office and I'm home, then I shut myself out from the office. Unless, of course, there is an extreme emergency.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, uh, every, every time I get a call, you a so-called emergency, I evaluate to see if it really is an emergency because right. you know, it's all about uh, perceiving something. and it's, mm-hmm. it's an So I shut myself out and then I focus only on the hobbies that I, that I have and when I'm focusing the hobbies I'm focused I'm, when I'm, I'm working on my hobbies I focus only on that. Hmm. There's no other nothing that will distract me uh, in fact it, it's almost like my second profession at that time. Hmm. Okay
0: yeah in fact this reminds me recently I was listening to a podcast where uh, the founder of this clothing company called Patagonia is talking about uh, how he's able to afford vacations Apparently, he takes off a few months every year saying, I want to be in the outdoors. And someone asked when someone calls me, I say, oh, if the wear has burnt down, you know what to do. Let me enjoy my vacation. Yeah, That's good. Uh, So thanks, Paul. It has been really an interesting conversation. I am sure there are a lot of tips. One may have to listen to this twice or thrice to actually glean some of the techniques that you have been following and the discipline that you have been able to consistently have for the last so many years.
2: Thank you Shiv, and thanks for the opportunity to even to share my story so that others can also gain from it. In fact, I've been wanting to you know, share some of these stories and uh, I didn't find a forum but this this was good.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank if you me. have more stories, yeah, I'm sure all listeners would like to listen to those sure. as well. Thank you. Thanks, much. If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcast at p-m-powerconsulting.com. That there is podcast at p-m-powerconsulting.com.
1: Please rate the show. On Podchaser, Stitcher, iTunes, or any other podcast client that you find us on. Please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show, do write to us at this email address podcasts at pm powerconsulting.com.